You're listening to the Table Church Podcast. The Table is a community in Orville, California that aims to follow Jesus by doing what he did. Love God, love our neighbors, and serve those in need. Find us at thetablechurch.net, Instagram, or Facebook. And now for the message. As you saw, we are doing a sermon series on these one another's. There are lots of them in the Bible. As it said, over 100, 59 of them direct commands to us. And so we're going to take a look at some of them. What does it mean? Uh, you read that quote, the, the goal, the function of the early church was to one another, one another. And I just love that, thinking about uh, this time of the season, coming together, regathering in the midst of a, a hard year. What does it mean to one another, one another? As always, if you have any questions, feel free to send them. I will do my best to try to remember to look at them um, anytime, any question. If I don't know, I'll let you know. But feel free to send it at that uh, phone number. It'll be on the bottom of each screen if you forget. But like I said, four to six weeks looking at these one another's. I'm not sure how long we want to go. There's so many of them. Uh, but at least four, we're in week two. Not only was this vital to the early church, as I mentioned last week, it was, uh, it, I think it's what every human being longs for, to be one another, to be in community, to be in deep community, to be known and loved for who you are, uh, to be encouraged, to be, have someone to go through hard times with and celebrate good times with. One anothering is, is important. What's the problem? I always talk about the bad news before I talk about the good news because I think we need to understand the bad news before we can fully accept the good news. And here's what I think it is. Uh, We talked about this a little bit last week. I'm going to dive into a little bit deeper today. The problem is that we let differences become divisions. Differences are totally healthy. But when we take them into the realm of divisions, that's when it can become unhealthy. Uh, Here's a healthy way I think we can approach differences hey, we share core convictions but have differing ways to approach these things. I think that's a healthy way to do that. Of, hey, we, you know, we, we uh, have this difference of opinion, but we have the same core conviction. I'll give an example, and I, I'm not trying to wade into anything too deep here, but um, I think a core Christian conviction is that we love and serve and help the poor. But there are lots of different solutions on how to do that. And what, this is where we get mixed up is that when someone favors one kind of solution to do that, another person favors a different kind of solution to do that. We take those differences in the ways that we approach solving that issue, and we make that a core identity issue where we are having a hard time relating with one another, but we share that same core conviction, right? So healthy ways to say, hey, we have a core conviction here that's in in common, and different ways to address that issue, and I think that can, we can still be in a healthy relationship. An okay way of approaching differences is I'm right, they're wrong, let's learn how to navigate that, right? People are just wrong sometimes. You have the right to be wrong, and I'll let you do that, okay? Uh, That's the way it has been for a long time. It feels like, today, things are, I'm right, and they're evil, and I don't tolerate evil. We have taken differences, and we've made them into divisions, and we've done it through a couple different ways. And here's the way that I always think about, this is the way we do it. Right? You, we have one or two options in our culture when we're talking about divisions. You can either treat the people who have differences than you, some differences with you, as either dumb, right, or demonic. They either don't know enough, and so we treat them over here, or we think maybe they are, maybe they do know enough, and they're actively and purposefully trying to harm or hurt us, me, this thing that we are trying to do. 
and so we could demonize them. And the way we do that is through a couple different ways. You want to get down here, all you got to do is start demeaning people, right? Talking down to them, condescending to them, bringing a judgmental attitude towards them, valuing your own experiences over theirs. And that's the step to just treating people like they don't know anything at all. And this is how we turn differences into divisions, one way. The other way is when we dehumanize people. We say that they're actively trying to harm whatever it is we're doing. They know better. We probably think that they are smart or thoughtful or nuanced. And we go, well, they know better, so they must be trying to hurt, trying to harm. And so we dehumanize, and we also do that with language and the way that we think about people, right? Like they're garbage or whatever. It starts there. Somehow less than human. Animals, insects, and it gets down to demonic. They are pure evil. I brought that up because I think that's the problem. I think it's the problem facing all of humanity. I certainly see that in Scripture, but I think it's the problem facing us today. That we take differences and we turn them into divisions when God was very comfortable drawing a community of people together who had differences and wanted them to not be divided. That is what's going on in Romans chapter 14. This is the good news for today. This is the good news gospel that we have for us. Romans 14 is this beautiful chapter about how to get along over things that seem really important and there's a divided congregation. The chapter, again, like I said, is wildly important. Feel free to read through that, but I'm pulling out a small segment for us. The whole letter of Romans is Paul writing to this congregation in Rome, talking about him coming there, talking about the problems that are being addressed in that congregation. It's a beautiful letter full of really deep theology. Um, if you like deep theology, that's the one. But here's what Romans 14, 13 through 19 says. So stop judging one another. Instead, this is, there's the one another, I said it. It's the movie title, right? It's the sermon title. Stop judging one another. Instead, this is what you should decide. Never put a stumbling block or obstacle in the way of your brother or sister. If your brother or sister is upset by your food, and this was the issue going on, we'll get into that in a minute, but it was a food issue. You are no longer walking in love. Don't let your food destroy someone for whom Christ died. God's kingdom isn't about eating food and drinking, but also righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever serves Christ in this way pleases God and gets human approval. So let's strive for the things that bring peace and the things that build up one another. You know how I preach, head, heart, hands. I think there's something that God wants us to know in every passage, something that God is doing in our hearts through every passage, and something that God wants us to do. I think it gives us a holistic faith, not just in our head, not just in our hearts, but all the way through out into our hands and into the world. And so those are my points. What does God want us to know? What is what God want us to feel? And what does God want us to do? And I think this is what Scripture wants to communicate to us, at least in part, through this passage. Family over freedom. And this may be my most controversial point of the day, so bear with me. But see what Paul starts. Stop judging each other. Decide never to put a stumbling block in front of one another. And he's going to get down into here. Whoever serves Christ in this way pleases God. This is the background on this passage. I talked about it last time. There are Jews in congregation. There's Jews in this congregation, and there are Gentiles in this congregation, and they have different eating habits. The Jews want to eat kosher, right? They're not eating pig. They're not eating certain seafood. They're not eating certain birds. 
And it, they, there's so many rules about how to eat that they refuse to eat with other people in their community. And much of Christianity is, is gathering around a table, communing with one another. And so this politics around food becomes really divisive for the church. And the Greeks are like, we can eat whatever we want, anything. And there becomes a real division between food sacrificed to idols. Most meat in uh, this culture, it was not like our meat where we just go down and pick it up from the grocery store. Most meat was sacrificed in some kind of religious expression and dedicated to some religious God here, there, or somewhere else. And so the Jewish members of this congregation said, you can't eat that meat dedicated to another God. And the Greeks said, idols aren't real. I'll eat whatever I want. And so there's a real issue here and it divided them. And Paul ultimately says, eat whatever as long as it doesn't cause each other to stumble. Eat whatever you want, which is one of the reasons I love Christianity, right? I talk about it often. We're eating bacon. We're like the only religion in the world that's like eating not, not Hindus, not Muslims, not Jews. Us, we have the market on bacon, and it's delicious. Might be our number one conversion tactic. We're just like, hey, have you guys ever had this before? It's totally chill in our religion. Um, Paul says, go ahead, eat whatever you want, but, but make sure you are, make sure you are taking each other into account. You have freedom, but you need to consider the family. I had a professor, uh, one of the most brilliant Paul scholars in the whole world, Bible scholars, um, and his family is from India. And he said, one time he was visiting back home, and he and his wife and kids, and they found this delicious food in the freezer, and they started unwrapping it. I mean, fridge, and they started unwrapping these leftovers, this leftover Indian food um, that he had missed, you know, growing up from his mom. And his mom came running out, he said, in her nightgown, and she said, no, 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 you can't eat that. That was from the festival. All that food is dedicated to our Hindu gods. And he said, I stopped. I mean, the guy's a Bible scholar, so you know the answer I'm getting at. But he stopped he thought about it. He says, she knows I'm a Christian. There's nobody else here. I'm not going to post about this on social media. And I said, what did you do? He said, I went to bed with the most delicious food in my belly that I've ever eaten. Right? And I thought it was, I mean, it's totally countercultural to how I was raised. I'm not often in these kind of positions. But one of the things I took away from his story was that he thought about the family over the food. He had freedom to eat the food. He knew he did. He knows more about the Bible than all of us put together. Uh, but what his consideration was, was would somebody else take issue with this? Would this be a hard part in their faith? Would this be a sticking point, a stumbling block for them if he saw, if they saw him eating this very delicious buttered chicken? It's so good. Our culture emphasizes individual rights over community, and this is one of those things as Christians that we are going to have to constantly push back into because we don't often come from cultures that emphasize something different. But Christianity emphasizes unity of the community over our individual freedoms. In the discussion between rights and responsibilities that's happening all the time in the culture around us, Paul is asking us to think first and foremost about responsibilities. You have freedom, to do whatever. There's so much freedom in Christ, but with that, he wants you to balance that by thinking about the people around you. Now, how does he want us to think about that? 
here's what I think Paul wants us to do in our hearts uh, as we think about this topic. He wants us to think about love over law. As we posted earlier, he says, stop judging. He wants you to decide. That's a head thing, right? Decide to don't put stumbling blocks in front of your brothers and sisters. If your food is upsetting people, he said, the way that you eat, the things that you do, the way that you participate in the world around you, the conversations, whatever it is, we can expand this to all kinds of stuff. He says, if, if the way that you approach topics, especially divisive topics, if the way you do that causes people to be upset, you are no longer walking in love. He says, but if you can approach it with love, then whoever serves Christ this way pleases God and gets human approval. As I was saying before, there's a wild amount of freedom in Christianity. Jesus gives us so much. In fact, some of the early theologians and thinkers of Christianity, they called it a religionless religion because Jesus didn't come to give us another temple, to give us more things that we have to sacrifice, to give us a new set of rules or a new set of laws. And in fact, many of the things Jesus did got rid of temples and sacrifices and these sets of laws that most uh, religions kind of give people to follow. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 6, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are beneficial. There is a wild amount of freedom in Jesus. So the key in this passage, and for Christianity altogether, isn't that we are guided by more divine laws, but more divine love. The hope is that you'd be so filled with God's love in your heart for God and for others that that would dictate how you operate in the world. That would dictate how you approach topics that are divisive. That would dictate how you approach your neighbor. Not a set of rules, but God's love. It reminds me of this picture I've seen going around. Have you seen this? He was told he can't step foot outside. And so he's got both feet inside, but laying on the deck. And someone's like a future lawyer, right? Just semantics. Do not step foot. And this is my kids, by the way, right? I tell them something like, hey, you need to go brush your teeth. And then they're not brushing their teeth. And they're like, technically, dad, you didn't say I had to brush my teeth right now. And then... Um, that's when I have to just conjure all the grace and love of Jesus into my heart. They used to be cute now, and now they're getting like, technically, actually, Dad. Sometimes I like to get water first, and I'm like, oh, man, I'm just all the patience I need in the whole world. And what I'm doing with my kids and how I'm raising them, right, is not that they need to follow a set of rules, hopefully. Not that they have to just figure out all the rules that I told them and they have to write them down and they have to check them off all the day. I'm hopefully raising kids that are loving and caring and compassionate. I think about this all the time when they get physical with each other, right, when they're scratching and pulling and pushing and hitting. My, my goal for them is not that they wouldn't hit anybody. My goal for them is that they would love each other enough to not hit each other, right? Like, it's easy to be like, don't hit each other. And then, but then they'll be like, actually, Dad, I didn't hit her. I just pushed her as hard as I could. Um, the goal isn't for them to ha like, be restrained by the rule, but I'm trying to foster and encourage this love that they would just not do that kind of stuff, right? And this is what Paul's getting at in here. He's like, I could give you a rule about food, but that's not of Jesus. That's not what God desires. 
God desires that we love one another, that we be people who walk in love and that we serve Christ in this way, that, that how we relate to one another and how we approach topics of division and, and judgment and, and neighbor is done with love rather than, rather than rule, right? rather than being right by prioritizing responsibility over our own individual freedoms, by making sure that we're thinking about others alongside ourselves, and maybe sometimes even above ourselves. Ultimately, what does Paul want us to do in this? As I told you before, we're doing one another's, and each one of these is a command, and so each one of these is probably going to be our hands, our do section. Paul, Paul says, so let's strive for the things that bring peace and the things that build up one another. Two key words here for me. First one, strive, means to pursue, means to run after. This is present in the Greek as well. And the second one is build up, build up one another. The word is oikodomo, and I know most people don't care about the Greek, but I think it's fascinating. So oiko, you may or may not know, isn't there a, a yogurt name that? Oikos. It just means home or house. The word we get from this, two of them that you would know, one is economy. I know it's a stretch, but it really does come from that. Economo, economy, means the law of the house, and it's how you govern the finances of your house. Or ecology, it's the study of our home, our planetary home, or our planetary house. And so literally when he says build up one another, he's talking about treating each other as, as a structure, as a building, as something that you are positively helping to bring up, to build up, to add more onto, to help look great, to be positive, to stay, uh, you know, safe and in shape, looking good. And so he tells us to build up. He's literally using language like construction, houses, housetop. To stop judging, he says, to not be a stumbling block, to walk in love, to serve Jesus, to please God. He wants us to work hard at building each other up. That's how we cut through some of that judgmental stuff. That's how we get past uh, turning our differences into divisions. That's how we stop judging. That's how we stop hurting. That's how we stop thinking poorly about. That's how we stop demeaning and dehumanizing one another over um, these differences of opinion, is that we work hard at building each other up, that we strive, that we pursue, that this becomes an active goal of ours, is that we are intentional about reaching out, helping one another. Uh, my friend Matt Monero was talking about uh, some of the situations they're going through. If you don't know, they're, they're building a house. They're doing a really cool thing, um, having a house being built. And it is so close to being done. And the thing that is kind of holding everything up at the moment is 20 feet of wire from there to there. That's it. Like the, the subcontractors want to come in and they're like, we could finish it if we just had electricity in the house. And pg &E says, you have an appointment. It's a week from Tuesday. And so everything is just kind of in limbo waiting for a week from Tuesday. And so Matt, being a little bit impatient and wanting to get stuff done and wanting to be in their house by Christmas, is emailing the PG&E guy like every day. And he's just like, hey, how's it going? Uh, did anybody cancel today? Any chance we can get moved up? You didn't forget about a week from Tuesday, did you? And the guy's like, it's a week from Tuesday. Please stop emailing me. No, he didn't say that, but he's very gracious. But Matt is emailing him, trying to get information to him, trying to let, hey, we're open today if anybody comes up. He was even joking, telling me, he was like, I'm thinking about driving around, see if I can find a guy with a bucket truck. Just be like, I'll give you, 
kids' music lessons if you just come over. He's a music teacher. I'll give your kids music lessons if you just come over and run 20 feet of wire for me. Uh, that is the thing. That's what's holding up this whole deal. It reminds me of what Paul is saying here, that Matt is actively pursuing this, right? Sending that email, thinking about like going out and do this other thing, again, jokingly. But he's striving, he's pursuing, he's pushing because he wants this thing built. And it just reminds me of the language, especially in the original Greek, of what Paul is getting at. That there's, a, there's a real pursuit, there's a real um, uh, pressure that Paul wants to put on us. There's a real like, active language that Paul's encouraging us to do that we would be striving, pursuing, pushing towards being people who build up one another. And everybody likes somebody who's building up other people, right? Nobody is like, mm, that guy, man, he's just too positive. I mean, that's true. Some people are, but you know what I mean. Like, Paul wants us to be those people, positive, encouraging, complimenting, helping to construct this house, home, life, body thing that we're building. This is such a big deal that, that governments all over the world have put out websites on how to support your friend. I was really surprised this week when I was researching this because I wanted to come up with like, here's 10 things you can do to be someone who builds up one another. Um, and so I found all these government websites about how to be a supportive friend. I thought that was really interesting. I was a little bit surprised. They were like, here's how to be a great friend. Uh, that one was from, I forget. This one's from England, right? How do I support my friend? This one's from Singapore. Building a supportive network of family and friends. There is government help for you if you don't know how to do this. I think the last one, my favorite, was um, from Australia. Support for friends, right? Having friends can play a vital role in maintaining and strengthening your mental health and well-being. It was a lot of stuff like, you know, I don't know, be a good mate. Try to create a, like a kangaroo-type pouch for your friends. No, it was not at all. I was just kidding. <laughs> just kind of dunking on Australians for a while. And all the stuff they listed is stuff that we know. And so I'm not going to give you 10 tips on how to be a supportive friend. It was like, stay connected, make a phone call, uh, check in, let them know that you're here for them if they're going through something hard, make space for them to talk about hard things if they want, all stuff that we know. So I'm not going to give you 10 tips on how to be a supportive friend or how to build each other up. Ultimately, um, I think we know. My three tips I'm going to give you is just be yourself. Do the stuff for others that you'd want them to do for you when you're going through it or when you're just not going through it, just when you want to have fun and celebrate life. And I think ultimately, if, like Paul says for us to do, if we're really striving and we're really pursuing, we're being intentional about it for one another, we'll figure it out. That actually will be the most important dynamic, the most important ingredient of building up one another is if we are actually trying actually seeking, actually striving. Thank you for sending a text. Whoever did that was right on time. If you have any questions, feel free to send them to the number there. Is it not there? <laughs> to the number there. And I'm going to open this one up. Uh, can you elaborate on what it would look like to cause someone to stumble? 
or to not cause someone to stumble? Is it just a matter of self-awareness or being aware of them and their struggles? Great question. Thank you for sending that. If you have any more, please send. Um, in this context, it would probably be more specifically in a faith setting, in their journey towards Jesus. He wants to talk about people who are new to the faith and maybe have a, a, a newer, uh, newborn type like faith where they're just growing and just learning. And so in Paul's mind, he wants us to be extra careful with them. He'll say things like, it's better to be helpful for them. It's better to be wrong when you know you're right than it is uh, to insert your freedom and to cause them to fall away. And so specifically in this context, we're talking about uh, a difference of maturity levels. The problem is if any of you have kids, you know that every young kid thinks that they're an adult right away. So this isn't something where you're just like, well, you're immature, so I'm just going to back off. You know, like, you don't want to be blasting people. Um, but so Paul wants you to be considered, like you said, self-aware, um, being aware of them and their struggles. Paul wants you to be very thoughtful about their journey in Jesus. And maybe it's not time to push things that might be divisive or might cause them to have issues or struggle. And so uh, letting things go. Because Jesus isn't working on everyone about the same topic, right? Everybody's got their own journey, and Jesus is talking to them. The Holy Spirit's working in them individually about the things that God wants them to go through and heal through and be a process through. And so there's something that you might think is really important, but God's not talking to them yet about. And so ultimately, Paul's encouraging us to do the things that make for peace. And don't push things. Uh, you have an insane amount of freedom in Jesus but that also means you are free to not enforce your rights all the time. You are free to uh, make sure that you are taking responsibility for people who are growing and learning. I hope that answered your question. There might be some times where you have to have a hard conversation, so I don't want to come across as saying, like, never have a hard conversation about this. Right? Um, there are some things that are really important that sometimes people need to talk about. And, and Christianity makes all kinds of rules for that. Jesus makes all kinds of a space for that. If someone sins against you, you get to go talk to them, and you get to say, hey, this wasn't cool, and we got to figure out how to be in relationship about this. Um, but ultimately, when it comes to your freedom, your rights, your opinion, your ideas, uh, if you are pushing those in such a way that it becomes divisive, judgmental, condescending, or dehumanizing towards others, Paul's going to have a real issue with you about that. Great. Here's the conclusion. We're wrapping up with our head. What does God want us to know? God encourages unity of community over our individual freedoms. And again, I know in our culture that might be kind of controversial to say, but I just want to let you know, scripturally, this is where the Bible's coming from. It's a more communal culture. Um, we needed each other. And so the Bible's going to push this every time. Something for us to think about. With our heart, uh, what does God want us to know? But God promotes law, a love over law. It's not about rules or rights, but living out God's love for one another. That's ultimately the guiding force in our decisions. And lastly, with our hands, what does Paul slash God want us to do? Strive, pursue, be intentional about the things that build up one another. Would you pray with me? Thank you, Father, for this time. Thank you for this word. Thank you for this encouragement. I think, Father, we want to be people who are encouraging. We want to be people who build up other people, to say the right thing, to speak the right word, to show up at the right time. And so 
Father, we ask that your Holy Spirit would be working in us. We ask that you would do the work in us to help us become those types of people, that we would feel encouraged and supported by you and by the people surrounding us, and that that would flood out to the people around us. Lord, would you help us to be thoughtful and aware of the people around us who are going through difficult times? Would you help us to not push things that aren't important or are less important than peace and unity? And would you help us to be people who bring people together for you, for your kingdom, for goodness and joy and love? And we will be careful to not get swept up in the wave of emotions or, or the anger that, that comes at us from all different directions. We'll keep our eyes on you. And we'll keep unity and peace before us. And we pray that your Holy Spirit would make us intentional to be unifiers and builders up of one another. And Father, now we come to a time of communion, a time where we're gathering around the table together, a time where we are sharing in food and the cup, and this is a place where you promise that your presence will be and meet us. And so we come with expectant hearts to hear and receive from you. That as we eat and as we drink, that your Holy Spirit would be active in us. And whatever we're learning about or whatever you're taking us through, this would be spiritual nourishment for us and for our journeys as we walk with you and with one another. So Father, would your Holy Spirit be in us and on these elements that would be a time of meeting together and meeting with you. And Table Church, as one voice, would you pray with me now the Lord's Prayer, saying, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day.